if a person who's been in prison for a long time then gets out of prison and they've been treated like an animal or like, you know, or maybe not an animal, but like a not of worth, mm-hmm. then how does that person reenter society and feel about themselves and then mirror that back? Hey everyone. Hey. <laughs> this is Linda and Drew Scott. And this is our podcast at home. A show where we chat with artists, experts, leaders, dreamers, and doers on the impact that they're creating in the world. Through these conversations, we get to dive deeper into our relationships with ourselves, our communities, and our planet. In a sense, it's like we're designing our home. From the inside out. This is at home. Welcome to another episode of At Home with Linda and Drew. It's just me right now. Yep. Drew is probably putting makeup on or something or on the toilet. That's more likely. So I said I would just do the recording by myself, but I will keep it short because it feels awkward talking in a room by myself. So to everyone who podcasts on their own You're amazing. I don't know how you do it. I'm super excited to introduce our guest today. It's our dear friend, Jess Earnshaw. She's a documentary photographer and filmmaker, and her work focuses on criminal justice, familial relationships, and women. Her photography has appeared in Nat Geo, The Marshall Project, Mother Jones Magazine, The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, NPR, and so many others. And today we're going to talk a lot about her first feature film, Jacinta, which won the Albert Maisel's New Documentary Director Award at the Tribeca Film Festival in 2020. Woohoo! And she was recently selected for Doc NYC's 40 Under 40 list. As you all know, on this podcast, we talk about relationships a lot and, um, Jess's work just illuminates the beauty and complexities of relationships. And this is huge news. You can catch Jacinta on Hulu. Jacinta has partnered with ABC News and it will premiere as a Hulu original documentary on October 8th in select theaters and on Hulu. This is Jessica Earnshaw. Okay, if ADT wasn't professional enough, now ADT installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT believes the smarter the home, the safer the security. I mean, what are they going to do next? They're, they're going to start a country singing career. I would listen to a country band named ADT. Also, I like to know what's happening at our front door from virtually anywhere with my Google Nest doorbell. Just saying. Your Google Nest doorbell? I said our. He said my. Everybody check that. Yeah. All right. Well, I like to control my ADT smart devices, like my lights, my locks. (laughs) My security system with Google Nest speakers and displays. And I like to say, hey, Google, to get started. Listen, I said ours. I'm all about ours, not mine. (laughs) Help protect what matters most with all this, plus 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help make your home smarter and safer. Jess, it's so great to have you here. <laughs> We're in person. I don't know why I'm laughing. Wait, what? I'm laughing because Jess is our first... In well, person? In person. Since pre-COVID. Well, bef- well, she was also on with the teenagers. 
with That's Annalie right. Antonelli. That's right. Yeah. But it's our one of our first. Mm-hmm. And Drew decides to like hit her in the face with the mic. Yeah. <laughs> I'm setting up the mic. So I'm like, is this a good distance for you here? And then I accidentally swiveled it and smacked her in the face. Um, you signed our liability waiver, right? No, I did not. Oh my gosh. We're ruined, Linda. <laughs> ruined. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Jess is one of my <laughs> oldest friends. We've known each other for 15 plus years. Um, yeah, we were, we were, we first met out in Vancouver and. How did you meet? We met through friends of ours. Yeah, well, I guess we just had to get together through family friends, the Johnsons. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then we just stayed in touch. Just moved to Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. I moved to Brooklyn right when you moved to Toronto. Right, for filming, yeah. yeah. That's and funny. now to our basement. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Happening and flowing all over the place. But uh, we're really excited because Jess has so much to share, which we'll get into She has an amazing documentary film that she directed and produced about generational trauma, and it is just about to be released on Hulu, which is super exciting. exciting. I'm so happy for you. As you know, listeners and Jess, on At Home, we talk to people who make us feel at home, and you make us feel at home because everything you do, the way you tell your stories, there's always such a humanity to everything you do. And yeah, I, th- I think the connections that you make, no matter what story you're approaching, really gives us like a new perspective and like more compassion in life. Oh, thank you. That's so sweet. You're just family. <laughs> you're family. But to tell us a little bit about Jacinta for anybody here who hasn't seen the announcements or hasn't seen the film. Um, Jacinta. So this is a feature documentary. Um, it's going to be released on Hulu on the 8th. Um, of October. October. I met a mother and daughter incarcerated together um, in Maine while I was doing a completely different project in Maine. Um, and I don't know, I was just really struck by their relationship. They were um, like best friends, very close. And Jacinta was about to be released. And I was really curious to understand how she ended up following her mother's footsteps. So I ended up following her um, out of the prison and for about three years in the community. And it really became a story about, you know, family, multi-generational trauma, and also about addiction and how that can, you know, pass through generations. What I thought was fascinating was that the film sucks you in. At first, I think anybody that might go in watching this, you know, there might be some sort of preconceived notion that, oh, it's just an addiction film. And it's not that at all. Um, how you said it's all about family. It really truly is. And what I, I thought was just... I don't know, it was heartwarming and sad in a way that um, you see everything that Jacinta's mother does is because she loves her. It's just that she's so misguided by her surroundings, her community, her life. And, by all that and she knows. All that she knows, exactly. Mm-hmm. And and that just that community of hers that, that she just keeps giving bad advice or giving bad um, direction to Jacinta. And this is just passing on and on through each generation of the family, mm-hmm. um, but but there is love. Like you feel the love, and you mm-hmm. know that that they're sort of there for each other. And so you you feel that it is a family film. It's not just an addiction film. Mm-hmm. And before we dive into that topic more, you kind of glazed over it because you were just like, "Yeah, I was just in prison, and I met this mother and daughter." <laughs> Tell us how you got there, um, and how you started as a director and filmmaker. Yeah. So I. Um, 
became interested in doing incarceration, like photography work um, back in 2013 or 2014. And I ended up receiving a grant to photograph aging in prison. So I was looking all across the country for prisons that would give me full access to aging people and like elderly people in prison. And um, I wanted to shadow them. I wanted to follow them around and um, from morning to night. And it was in Maine that I got that access. I'd never been in a prison, obviously, before. So, so why were you so interested in that? Like, did something happen in your life? Did you see someone? Or is it so different from anything that you knew because you've never even got a parking ticket? <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. So, yeah, why? Well, I so I had dinner with a friend of mine, or now a friend, but um, he was just passing through town, a friend of a friend, and he worked for the UN and he was doing a lot of peacekeeping work in Africa. And we started talking about um, justice and just how it's very different in different parts of the world and how people are punished for different crimes in a country that unlike the US, they might punish somebody by, or a long time ago, by stoning them to death or whatever, mm. you know, and we might see that as being, you know, super barbaric, but you know, we're so used to incarcerating people, but that's kind of barbaric too. You know, you're putting somebody in a little room and where's the restorative justice and where's the bringing that person back into society. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the whole eye for an eye mentality of punishment is just interesting. And I wanted to understand that more. So I applied for a grant on a totally, at a different prison, got the grant to do an aging and prison project. And that's kind of how it started. Mm. And I don't know, I spent a lot of time with these elderly men and women and I attached wireless mics to them, followed them around all day. And I heard about their childhoods and their regrets and their remorse. And, you know, so many people in prison have such traumatic childhoods and early, you know, mm. lives that it wasn't surprising that things had turned, you know? And I also, there was another th moment Right before I went into the prison, I was like, re I'd never been in a prison. And I hadn't really been thinking so much about entering the prison. I just was, you know, trying to get my equipment together and the grant and yeah. all this stuff. And I'm sitting in the lobby and I'm just like so nervous. I was mm -hmm. just like, oh my God. <laughs> I was like, wait a second, what am I doing? And I go in and I'm introduced to, you know, my subjects that I'm going to be following. And they were so nervous. Oh. They were like hmm. so nervous to meet me. And I all of a sudden was like, oh my God, like, cause I, when I was saying, and I was nervous outside in the lobby, I didn't want anybody to feel uncomfortable with my nervousness. Mm -hmm. So I was like, just chill, chill, chill. And when I met them, it was just so, um, I could tell they were really um, excited for me to be following them because some of these men haven't had visitors mm -hmm. in like so long and mm. me to care about their stories. And I felt like there was, so anyways, when I was thinking about my fear in the lobby, I was where I was like, where does that come from? And it comes from my experience of prison, which is only movies mm -hmm. and not even just prison. It was like the people in prison, mm -hmm. you know? So like horror movies, like people who have murdered people, like mm -hmm. media, and it's not the reality of what you find. Well, and, and you did follow some people who are incarcerated for murder. Yeah, well. all my subjects on the Aging in Prison Project. I yeah. committed murder. Yeah. So you you were expecting from what you saw in films and what you've heard in in the news, just these absolute wild sort of crazy personalities, and it wasn't that at all. Well, I don't know if I was I was expecting that. I think it was just 
I was nervous because I didn't really know what to expect because I hadn't been in prison. I don't think I thought people who committed murder or people in prison were like the boogeyman or like, mm-hmm. the, you know, the stereotypes, but it, it would just kind of vanished as soon as I, mm-hmm. I think as a photographer, for me, I have felt on maybe other projects that you're constantly, you're photographing and you're like, sometimes feel like you're taking mm-hmm. stories. And so you're always trying to print photos and give them to your subjects. So there's mm-hmm. a bit of an exchange. When I was photographing people in prison, it felt like so much more reciprocal as mm-hmm. far as like the, I'm, telling their story and they want their story told and they want yeah. someone to care and they want, cause they, you know, to be looked at it like a human and not somebody who's not deserving of that. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. Where do you think that approach you have comes from? Like, did it come from your upbringing or is it just through your practice being a photographer and, and filmmaker, like being the observer mm-hmm. or, or yeah, does it come from, cause you said your, your mom is a photographer as well. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, my mom's a photographer. I got my first, I got a disposable camera when I was in kindergarten. I oh. actually have photos still of like very strange things. I like the floor. That you took? Yeah, <laughs> the ceiling. <laughs> a leaf. Very artistic. Oh my God. I, Edgy. Yeah. I was always really interested in capturing moments. And then I, in high school, I was a photographer for the yearbook. Mm. And I was always really interested in nonfiction. So I used to read nonfiction back then. I don't know. I'm just interested in people's stories. And I probably got that. My mom um, has her master's in anthropology. Mm. So she was really Mm. interested in, I don't know, my family. I think there's like, those were the conversations Mm. maybe. Mm. I think knowing your personality for so long, the the thing that I I really love is that you're non-judgmental with anybody that I see that you come across. And I mean, it comes across in your work too. You didn't go into this prison judging these people because they were murderers. You didn't get into um, following uh, Jacinta and her mom around because they were drug addicts and you have that preconceived notion. It, it seems like you give people a chance. You truly want to know their story. And I feel that empathy is what really opens up your kindness. And that's something that is portrayed in your film. And I'm sure it's portrayed in all your photography too, because everybody does have a story. We were talking about this yesterday too, even, you know, how sometimes you see someone that might be like angry at the store, yelling at the clerk or something like that. And automatically we could come across and get defensive or, or yell at that person and say, get out of here, you jerk kind of thing. But understanding that something traumatic could have just happened to them. And so they're in a different headspace. And so being around you is helping me sort of try to be less judgmental of people and also give people a chance to, you know, um, get out whatever it is that they're trying to get out, but mm-hmm. without judging them. Are, are you talking about like a specific road rage incident or something or <laughs> I, I have many little in- incidences that, uh, <laughs> that I could refer to. I do have one question. Uh, just going back to when you said you were first doing your photography of aging in prison, how, how do you say like, uh, like the prison system being regenerative or being restorative, restorative. Sorry. Yeah. Were you saying that that's what you thought the system was in the U S but in reality it's not. No, I, um, I feel like in other countries, especially in Europe, you would have more of a restorative system. Um, And also my conversation with Charlie early on, it was, you know, in other countries, there's more of um, an idea of community that if somebody is taken from a community, you have to like fill that void. And that often can be the person who killed that person, you know, so that person is then um, paying a debt to the community by being a part of the community and filling a space. Mm. Whereas here, I feel like you take somebody out of a community in almost like an exile 
in a prison where it's like, you're, you're not worth anything anymore, you know? And I think, I think that is felt by the people in prison, in certain prisons, I'm sure. I know there are a lot of prisons that do have programs, but um, yeah, I just, if a person who's been in prison for a long time then gets out of prison and they've been treated like an animal or like, you know, or maybe not an animal, but like a not of worth, Mm -hmm. then how does that person reenter society and feel about themselves and then mirror that back? Yeah, And, and that's the thing that anyone we've ever spoken to that has experience with the prison system across North America has said that exact same thing. It's, there's nothing. Nobody wins. No, nobody wins at all. And I I know, as you even said, with the people you're, you're photographing, like there's regret with what they had done. People make mistakes. And unfortunately some of these mistakes are huge, but if you don't give these people a chance to learn and grow from their mistakes and hopefully be at a position where they can reenter society in a positive way, then what's the point of the whole thing? All you're doing is you're perpetuating sort of more negativity, locking them somewhere. There's so much that has to change with the the prison system. ADT now professionally installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT believes the smarter the home, the safer the security. Help protect what matters most with 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. You said that very professionally. I try. (laughs) Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help you make your home smarter and safer. I sat in on this hospice program. And I was photographing this guy, Stephen, who was aging or elderly man. And he was in this hospice program. So he was taking care of people in the prison who were sick or dying. Mm. And they had their like weekly meeting and all these men were talking about their experience in the program. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting is that they were talking about how they were experiencing like love and compassion for these men and it was new to them because in some ways they didn't feel like they that was who they were or they were capable of that. Mm. And that's because they had never received that um, in their lives mm. and they never were in a position to give it. And so all of a sudden they were like, oh, wow, this is in me, you know, to like, you know, love mm. and care. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's a really great program in the prison. Yeah, what, when you talk about, you know, them not being able to give what they've never received themselves, it reminds me of, the dynamic between Rosemary and Jacinta and, and Kaylin in, in the film Jacinta or in the doc Jacinta. So that's Jacinta's mom and Jacinta's daughter. Yeah. And I find that such um, an eye-opening thing that, I mean, Jess has so many fascinating projects coming up. They are all seemingly very dark, but you really find the light in it by showing the relationships and with Jacinta, can you talk a bit more about how the relationships unraveled in front of you? Because you covered them over three years, right? Mm-hmm. I was interested in the love between the family members. You know, I was interested to understand how did Jacinta end up following in her mother's footsteps? So following her out and meeting her father, Rick, her brother, Sean, um, her boyfriend, like all these people in her life, you could see there was so much like, love and compassion and frustration and all these things and just wanting her to be okay, you know? And I think in their unraveling, I think with trauma, there can be um, 
timelines are all kind of like confusing. So I would hear from Jacinta like, oh, this is what happened in my childhood. These are the dates. I hear from Rick, her father, these are the dates and none of them match, you know, Mm. because everybody kind of remembers things slightly differently. Mm -hmm. So I did all this research as far as like talking to like school teachers and Mm. like really doing a deep dive on the timeline just so I could understand what happened. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us with Jacinta, what is it that you want the film to bring to people? What what do you want it to do for people? I feel like with this project, like just the, you know, Jacinta had a lot of trust with me and I followed her in a lot of very intimate moments. And we see women like Jacinta in film, in prison and, you know, sober houses. And, but these women like die in the shadows, you Mm. know, these women are like, and oftentimes we don't want to look you know, and that yeah. came up a lot in, um, in when I was pitching this project and we would talk about it, like the ethics of, you know, filming something like this, where people would be like, well, should we be looking, you know? And Jacinta, she wants to be seen. It was very clear to me that Jacinta wanted her story to be told. She wanted to use her story to help other women. And sometimes there's a discomfort for people. Um, and I think sometimes that can be a discomfort of feeling like, you know, I shouldn't be looking at this, mm-hmm. you know, but what does that say about us that we can't see it, you know? And just because it's just because we don't see it doesn't mean it's not there. Yeah. And just because you're uncomfortable, is that because of her or is that because of you're having a hard time, you know, seeing it and dealing with it? Because this is her reality all the time. I would love people to watch this film and kind of like, as you were saying, like have more compassion for people that you might write off. Can you give us examples of the uncomfortable situations that you're talking about that you were right there for? Because I think that's something that would be interesting to understand how you broached those situations and helped her through to make sure that she was comfortable. Sure. So there might be spoilers here. So spoilers. Mm. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Is that okay? Yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I think there's like a, a trying to figure out being a filmmaker and a friend or a human. And it's like constantly juggling this line of like, um, when do you film? When do you stop? One of the things I did very early on is I just kept filming everything because if I kept filming everything, I didn't have to make decisions on when the camera was turned off, which um, was way better. Cause I knew that in the edit, I'd be really responsible as far as like what we showed. Mm-hmm. Even if I'm filming something that is really hard to see, and Jacinta might not even look good in it or whatever, I'm not necessarily going to put that in the film, you know, mm-hmm. and we'll make those choices later. So I just kind of filmed everything so I didn't have to like be like, oh, I'm turning the camera on now mm-hmm. in a, like a really uncomfortable moment, right. which would make me really uncomfortable to do. And um, I think I definitely lean way more on um, being a person versus a filmmaker as far as like, or a friend to her or a support. Cause I was the only one on the crew, you know? So I didn't have like mm-hmm. anybody else to like kind of, mm-hmm. so I constantly was talking over the footage and ruining shots, ruining moments because I would be filming everything, but I also would be like talking to her. And so at the very beginning, when she started to use, I was trying to get her to stop by being like, Oh, you don't have to do this. Like, you know, let me help you. Like, do you want to go into treatment program? Like, like trying to kind of like, um, but she didn't want help and that became very clear. Mm. So I realized I'm okay. I'm my role here is not to mm-hmm. save her. She doesn't want to be saved. So, um, and we had conversations about, do I continue working on this? 
And, um, and ultimately it was like, yes, you know, like she's not in recovery now. That doesn't mean her story is not worth telling, Mm -hmm. you know? And Mm -hmm. so I continued to film it, but it was definitely like, I, I tried unless Jacinta only once asked me to turn the camera off, which is in the film. Mm-hmm. But other than that, she trusted me and she knew my intentions, which was the generational part of it. Mm-hmm. It was very difficult to film. How do you, and I know it's through like responsible storytelling on your part and your approach. And that's just like your, that's just your heart. Yeah. But how do you ensure that it doesn't, you know, cross the line of turning into like, you know, you've talked about this, like creating poverty porn or like. Well, I knew when I was filming it, how it could so, in an edit, how mm-hmm. it could be so easy to turn it into that, yeah. you know? And even in the prison, there was so much drama that I was like the easiest way to edit. Like it's 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 all on the surface. You can, you know, it's a very easy thing that you could turn this into that. Mm-hmm. But to me, I was not really just not interested in the, um, I was really interested in the deeper levels mm-hmm. of the relationships and the psychology and really trying to understand like, wait, why, why is this happening? Like, why are you going back to the drugs? Why are you not seeing your daughter? Like, why is this like really trying to understand like deep down? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think it's so much in the edit. I mean, for us, we only use scenes of her using if it was saying something way deeper. Mm-hmm. I think what was interesting for me is that the film was still educational for me too, because I'm seeing something that I've never really seen before. And I'm understanding why someone in Jacinta's situation or her mom's situation continues to go back to using or continues to go back into these negative situations or stealing or whatever it might be. I just did, uh, for me, I was like, why don't you just stop? Just stop, just go into treatment and get help and stop. But now you understand that there's so much more of an emotional and mental- So many layers. Layer, Mm -hmm. exactly, that it's not as easy as just Mm -hmm. cold turkey, Mm -hmm. so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think for me, one of the biggest lessons I've taken away from watching the film is that um, we all have a responsibility to tell stories more intentionally. Cause I feel like now in a world where like anyone can say anything and report on whatever they want, however they want, it's more important now, especially with like so much information flying around. I mean, you may see yourself in the, the mother or you may see yourself as the daughter or the friend. It's humanizing them. And also too, it's, 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 um, telling, their story, you know, like a poverty porn piece or whatever else might be my or another person's interpretation of a world, you know, that you don't know, you know, it's not my story to tell, it's Jacinta's, you know? And it's like, if if it comes across like poverty porn or whatever, it means that you're not looking, you're not taking like, cause that person living in that world isn't, wouldn't describe their world mm-hmm. in those ways or whatever. No. I think- what was really important to me in telling Jacinta's story is I'm like, I don't have, I'm not from this place. I don't have this experience. Like our lives couldn't be more different. Mm -hmm. Like, but I spent so much time with her trying to understand who she was, that it was really important to me that she was, when she watched this film at the end, she could stand by it. It was, it was her story. There were certain like, um, you know, storylines that we were trying to tell that, um, it was really important that it was based on Jacinta's, like with her relationship with her mother, like she's forgives her mother, you know? And even though the audience might not, mm-hmm. and it was like, te- not tempting for me, but there were conversations about like, do we go down, 
do we look at that in Rosemary? It's not, that's not Jacinta's story, mm-hmm. you know, Jacinta's story is, you know, so just making sure it's very true to a person's story versus mm-hmm. like telling your version. Your interpretation. Mm-hmm. Your interpretation, mm-hmm. you know. So you're an award-winning director. I mean, you have best new documentary filmmaker at Tribeca, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think what was very interesting to me is that you brought Jacinta to all of these big festivals and premieres that you were doing. What was that experience like for her? Had she ever been outside of her town or... So she didn't go to any, oh, she went to Tribeca um, this year because it got canceled last year. And that was that was the first festival experience for her. And Rick came with her, so her father came with her. It was so special. She We, we got a makeup artist for her. She got all dolled up. She walked the red carpet. And, you know, Rick had never been to New York before. It was like a really cool experience for them. And it was so special for me to like have them there because mm-hmm. I had done so many festivals like virtually and a couple in person without them. And which was great and fun, but to have them there was such a cool experience because I don't know, just having her be part of it is just mm-hmm. amazing. She looked like a Hollywood starlet like she really did she looked amazing on the red carpet and you could see the the pride in, in her dad too oh my god yeah being there. i yeah. think that's so cool that she's able to be a part of this part of the process as well um and for her vulnerability to pay off in this way um can you talk about the impact campaign aspect mm. of the film yeah so we're doing this whole and that was something that was really important to me as I was filming it. I'm like, we have to do a social impact campaign because the things I was seeing, I was like, this is crazy. Like that this is happening. And yeah, it's everyday life yeah. for so many people. Yeah. And Jacinta is not a unique story, which is really heartbreaking. Like, mm-hmm. and actually Jacinta shared the film with some of the women in the prison. Mm-hmm. And um, I wasn't there for it, unfortunately, but I heard about it. And it was really just all these women saying, me too. Oh my God, this was mm-hmm. my experience. This is my story. And being able to see it in a, in a way where... In a, in a, with a different lens, you know, mm-hmm. in a way that was really like, and the conversations they had was just so connecting and like validating or something. Jacinta very early on when she was in the prison and we started talking about the social impact campaign, I was like, do you want to be a part of this? And Jacinta, yes. She was like, yes, yes, yes. Amazing, yeah. And um, I was like, okay, well, we want to build the social impact campaign that is based on what is important to you. And so the most important thing to her was um, children and making sure that the cycle ends with Kaylin, with a younger version of herself. Mm. So we started building it based off of that. And Jacinta is part of our campaign. You know, She's talking to our social impact producer all the time. And we recently partnered with DreamCore, which is really cool. They're an amazing organization started by Van Jones. We also are working with federal judges who are going to be using the film to train their um, the judges coming oh. into the circuit. Oh wow! Yeah, which is really cool. With the um, Dream Corps, they have this legislation that they're trying to pass in various states, um, the Dignity for Women's Act. Mm-hmm. They, you know, just into will be part of that. They're going to use the film to really push this legislation because it's how do you make it less traumatic for children and also the distances are manageable for so you keep the connection between the child and the parent mm. because that is part of the cycle where you have a child who is disconnected from their parent and um, might feel like, what did I do wrong? 
yeah. you know, that I'm not loved. Like, and I think that was something that really came up a lot with Kayla. And it was like, I'm not enough. Like if she's picking all of this over me, it means I'm not enough. But we all know that Jacinta adores Kaylin, but we know also that like, you know, drug addiction is not just a question of like stopping, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. especially when you have the trauma that came before it. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, congrats on all the, the growth for the, the project and, and everything and, that you're doing. Yeah, everything. Thank well, you. I know we can't talk about it, but I know I'll just say this to everybody listening, keep an eye for the name. Jacinta, because the, the film's going to be massive. It's, it is massive. And also for Jess Earnshaw, because her new projects are pretty exciting as well. And very important topics. Yeah. I, I think the, the thing that I'm most excited about is how you've been able to take this story, um, Jacinta's story, and show it to so many people. I think that's going to be life-changing for a lot of people. I hope so. Cool. Yeah, we're really excited. All right. Now is the real test. The speed round. Speed we always questions. end with the speed round. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> oh. I didn't know this. Are you ready? <laughs> I think so. All right. What is your go-to morning drink? <laughs> oh, um, I know this. Yorkshire tea. <laughs> Yorkshire tea. <laughs> Yorkshire tea. What is your most vivid memory of home? Where I grew up, I just think coziness, mm-hmm. candles, pillows, things like that. What scent? Candles? Uh, I don't think there was a scent. Oh. Mm. Yeah. Nice. So what song takes you back to your childhood? Alanis Morissette, um, Hand in Your Pocket. Oh, yeah. I remember when I heard that song. Yeah, yeah. I think it was in grade eight. And what did you think? I was like, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) This song. Oh, my God. It just sounded so different from anything I'd heard. Yeah. She's amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's your favorite home-cooked meal and who made it? God, these are tough questions. Um, you can say anything I make. It's fine. Oh, no, okay, yeah, yeah. okay. okay. Um, anything that Linda's made. <laughs> done. Done. I agree with you on that one. Uh, Come on. on. Okay, I can't okay. beat up mom. Um, okay. Okay. I'm just thinking home cooked meal. I remember when I was a kid, my mom used to make this like pasta thing. I can't remember what it's called, but it's got like creamy sauce and it's got like little shreds of bacon and peas. Mm. Mm. Very There's cool. a word for it, but I, I, that has, I know what you're talking about and I don't know the name either. Yeah. It's like a pasta with bacon and, and peas, peas and cream sauce or something. Mm. I don't know. I'll have to look that up. Some Somebody sort of out there pot knows. Pie of something. Yeah. Uh, okay. Here's the last one. Um, and you can explain this any way you want, like the cleanliness organization, Zen, whatever it be. But what do you do at home to make yourself feel most relaxed at home? Kind of the ritual of like waking up and having tea and Mm -hmm. I have like granola with berries in the morning and yeah. I love, I'm a morning person for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Actually last, last question. Okay. Name three things on your bedside table. Currently? Sure. Yes. If you can see the bedside table for everything (laughs) else piled around it. (laughs) Um, Okay. So a cell phone charger, um, water Mm -hmm. and... Probably a book. Well, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Thank Jess. Thank you, guys. Love we, you. We're Love also, you. We're going to put a link in our show notes for Hulu. October 8th will be the premiere of Jacinta on Hulu and all the other great information about things Jess is doing. And it will be in select theaters in LA and New York. Yay. Amazing. 
And a huge thank you to our homies, Brandon Angelino, Annalie Bell, Hannah Fan, Courtney Iwanis, Wes Friend, Chris Cobain, Jessica Bryant-Harvey, and Nicole Schachter. Our theme music for At Home is by Victoria Shaw and Chad Carlson. And music is composed and produced by Rick Russo. Thank you so much for listening. And if you do enjoy our podcast, be sure to subscribe and rate us. Always rate us. We love you rating and commenting. Yeah, we actually like your feedback. And to you, thank you. Thank you, love you. Love you. Dun, 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 dun. ADT <laughs> now professionally installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT is awesome and believes that the smarter the home, the safer the security. I can't wait to see what they do next. They're going to put Google Nest doorbells on the moon. <laughs> dun, dun. Actually, I'd like to know what's happening at our front door from virtually anywhere with our Google Nest doorbell. I do love how when we're out at dinner, we can see exactly what's going on at the front door. And we can control our ADT smart devices like... Lights, locks, the security system with Google Nest speakers and displays. Mm-hmm. All you have to say is, hey, Google, to get started. Well, I think it's great for people to help protect what matters most with all of this. Plus, 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help make your home smarter and safer. Hey, Google.